This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. This is Knowledge at Wharton, and you're listening to Sirius XM 111 Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. The work to restore power back to the island of Puerto Rico continues, yet, as we have mentioned, it's expected to be months before full operation as the grid was severely damaged. And a reminder of the dire situation before the storm is years of neglect and mismanagement put the island's electric company into significant debt. But the island has contracted with a Montana startup, Whitefish Energy, to do a majority of the repairs, a company that had only two employees prior to the storm. And that has drawn the attention of some as to if this company is qualified to pull off all of these repairs. Jack Gillum is a reporter with the Washington Post investigative team, and he is part of that team covering this story. And it's great to have Jack joining us right now. Jack, welcome. Hi, good to be here. Thank you. So I guess l- let's start with the background as well on on how this company actually came into this contract in the first place. Sure. So to understand a, a little bit better, I mean, just imagine an entire island without power, th- you know, thousands of feet of miles of electric of electric line, transmission lines that are down 80 percent, at least uh, two thirds of the island without power. Um, So what the Puerto Rican utility, uh, the Puerto Rican Power Authority, did is turn to this small company in Whitefish, Montana, uh, called Whitefish Energy. Now, what's a little interesting about it is that it has um, only two employees. Uh, As of July, uh, according to some federal documents we looked at, only had about a million dollars in revenue and is only about a two-year-old company. So we were a little curious about why this company was awarded this contract rather than going through this uh, so-called mutual aid route that's uh, normally practiced after uh, such a disaster hits. And from what I understand in reading the story, uh, the people that they will be using uh, to do a lot of these repairs uh, down in Puerto Rico will be subcontractors, correct? That's right. And that's a little bit that when we talk to this company, how this works. Uh, When these things happen, as you can imagine, they need to spool up temporary workers pretty quickly. Um, You know, I mean, and this isn't, you know, in in fairness, I mean, this isn't exactly like a a bucket truck on the streets of of Washington or New York, right? I mean, these are people who have to hang out of helicopters, go through rugged terrain, um, some pretty pretty serious jobs they have to do. But yes, I mean, that right now, I think they're at about 300 employees. They say they're adding about 10 to 10 to 20 a week. Uh, it's a pretty big job, but I mean, it did come from a company that uh, really uh, has a limited experience, at least as a company, going back only two years. So, do we know at this point how much of an impact they have had in trying to make a dent into all of the issues uh, in that electrical grid in Puerto Rico at this point? I, I mean, part of it is, as you mentioned, is the transmission lines, but part of it is also the infrastructure as well, all of the towers that that are built to carry those transmission lines. Right. I think it's a little too early to say because you're, it's not just the transmission lines. There's issues with power generation. Um, I mean, really, the soup to nuts process of getting the power generated to an electrical socket in someone's home or business. Um, I mean, they just uh, you know were awarded this contract really in recent weeks. 
Um, the this, the executives we talked to, or the chief executive rather, said that you know he flies the island every day, you know, and works. They work twelve hour days, uh, if at, at minimum. So I think it's a little too early to say just when all the you know the progress of this power. But indeed, we know just general from general reporting that most of the population is still without electricity. You also mentioned the fact that that the mutual aid agreements uh, that are in place uh, here in the United States and and would potentially I, I guess include Puerto Rico as well. Uh, were not used or are not being used by the Puerto Rican government. That would basically be, you know, in the case of uh, Hurricane Harvey, uh, crews coming from other states into Texas to help uh, rebuild the, the lost power in that state. Similar type of issue with Puerto Rico, but not being used. That's right. I mean, these power companies bind uh, together, so to speak, when you know, and help each other out when these big disasters strike. Um, but you're right. I mean, this was not a route taken this time. It's left some people scratching, you know, their head scratching, even in the, you know, in the federal government. Um, what's interesting is that when we had reached out to the Puerto Rican Power Authority, um, the head of the director, as well as the spokesman for that or- organization, at the time we reported this on Tuesday, they did not return our request seeking comment. So, you know, interestingly enough, around that time, I believe the next day, the governor had and said not only is whitefish good for the job, but that people are complaining is really sort of a <laughs> really just murmurings of, of folks who are disgruntled that they didn't get the contract or something like that. So, you know, the questions officially of why it went this way, I think, are really unanswered, at least why it didn't go the mutual aid route. Jack Gillum of the uh, Washington Post joining us on the show. We're talking about the issues of Puerto Rico's power grid and trying to get that back up and running uh, here on Sirius XM 111, business radio powered by the Wharton School. Uh, I, I guess the, then the, the other question that, that really begs to mind right at the top is that this company is from Montana. Uh, the current Secretary of the Interior, Ryan Zinke, is from Montana. Uh, you mentioned that the, there are some connections here, not necessarily specifically potentially in getting the contract, but there are kind of some some interesting elements to this. Yeah, that's right. I mean, this is a little bit of a case of, you know, two people, you know, at minimum being from the same small town, right? I, uh, you know, Whitefish is not is not a big place. Uh, when we had asked the CEO, Andy Tekmanski of Whitefish, you know, do you know uh, Ryan Zinke, the interior secretary? He said, uh, yes, we do. Um, you know, he said, we don't know each other very well. Uh, you know, we did a little more reporting and found out that one of Zinke's sons actually had a, a summer job as a as a flagger um, for Whitefish Energy. Um you know, there was a little bit of uh, history with them to the degree that uh, Whitefish, when it wanted to expand a little in or set up a plant, I believe, in Montana, uh, as part of that economic development growth, they uh, tried to get uh, Ryan Zinke's office involved. Uh, if you right. remember, he was a, a congressman, the at-large member from Montana before he was in the lead to the Interior Department. Um, an NBC affiliate up there uh, very recently actually said that uh, he reached out to the Interior Department in this case with Puerto Rico just to help get supplies down there. Um, when we asked the Interior Department there, they effectively said this is, you know, a normal practice, right, that you, you know, if, if there is a constituent or somebody needing help, we'd be happy to get them down there. So these are just sort of interesting relationships, um, right. you know, it just shows that nobody really lives in a vacuum, I guess. But, but. part of this, uh, this they, they say that this company was targeted was because of their ability to do some of this work in mountainous terrain. And I wanted you to speak to that, but also to the fact of how exclusive this industry or these types of companies are within the electrical industry in general of doing this work in mountainous terrain. 
Sure. I mean, it's not, as we were saying earlier, I mean, it's not easy work. I mean, the last uh, work that Whitefish did, at least when it got a federal contract, was uh, fixing some about five miles of transmission lines in Arizona. Uh, again, you know, that's not the <laughs> – those aren't the, the, the poles and the, the wires that you see on the side of the street and, you know, in a downtown city. Sure. Um, I mean, the, they said that they, you know, they received the request. They answered the call. Um, you know, it's not – you know, a hugely big industry, and you know they they convinced the the Puerto Rican Power Authority that they had the experience to do it. Eight four four nine four two seven eight six six is the number. If you would like to join in, your comments are welcome. Eight four four nine four two seven eight six six. I guess at this point, the expectation of repairs uh, in Puerto Rico is uh, mentioned at the top. Still, we're talking months. We're not talking weeks at this point. Uh, even though the governor of Puerto Rico kind of threw out that target of of Christmas to get a majority of the power back up. Yeah, I mean, the 95% marker by Christmas was something that even Whitefish, when they spoke with us, said, you know, or at least cast doubt on, cast a little, you know, a little, it strained credulity. Um, you know, Andy Techmansky and the CEO told us, you know, look, this could take months. It could take well, you know, well beyond that. But I mean, this is a pretty serious situation. So I think, you know, he said he didn't know where the governor was getting his information um, of why the 95%. Maybe that was just, you know, a, a promise or politics or wishful thinking, but he even seemed to indicate that that was unlikely. Did, did Whitefish say to you or, or to your other uh, cohorts working on this article uh, what exactly their greatest focus is in Puerto Rico right now? I mean, when they're talking about getting this grid back up and running, there has to be a 1 and 1A that they're really focusing on. Yeah, that's right. I mean, these are these large, uh, I believe it's, I don't know exactly the amount, I think it's uh, somewhere around 200,000 uh, kilovolt uh, transmission lines. I mean, these are these are the big lines that you see that actually deliver power from a generation plant. I think it just as you would expect. I mean, you need to get sort of the major infrastructure and the generation going first, and then you know start getting down to the cities and places where you know those smaller lines get to people's homes and businesses. So it's really sort of the the big transmission lines right now. Um, that they are, are focusing their efforts on, at least according to them. Are, are they involved with the work at the generation plants itself? Because we had heard that that, that was a, a, an area that needed to be repaired as well, partly from the storm, but also partly because of this lack of, uh, of, uh, lack of focus on these facilities over the last few years because of the uh, indebtedness of, of the power authority. I think it's still a question about who's doing what. Um, I mean, it sounds like the lines are a, a big priority right now. Right. Uh, but, you know, just to sort of back up a second about the, the, the $300 million contract, which is to what the, these guys were awarded, to just put this into perspective, um, I mean, this is the largest award for this disaster in Puerto Rico. And on top of it, this was as well the largest award by far that this company had ever received. I mean, I believe... The work that they did for five miles of, of transmission line repair in Arizona was about a, a little more than a million dollar contract. Um, so this is this is a huge contract that went to them. Yes, they have some subcontractors, or they hire people to come in and do this uh, for very very high prices. You know, which they would defend is because it's important to. Uh, you know, pay people because of the hazardous conditions. And, so. and and a majority of the contracts that are being handed out are, as you mentioned, quite a bit smaller, uh, you know, up or, or downwards of, of $20 million and less, correct? That's right. I mean, this is certainly the biggest. Um, but, you know, but if you look at some of the prices, that's where, you know, a lot of this comes in. I mean, for example, you have 
$330 an hour for a supervisor. Um, or you can have, you know, uh, 227, $227 an hour for a, a journeyman, for a lineman. Um, $80 a day per food, accommodations of about $300 a day. So when you start adding that up yeah. times hundreds of workers, I mean, things and, you know, other supplies and materials, I mean, that really starts to add up fast. And, and that's the other piece to it that you just alluded to is that these are people that are coming from other locations and they are staying here uh, for weeks and, and weeks at a time. So they don't have places to stay. So the accommodations and food are part of, of what is involved in this contract. That's right. And, you know, they would say, look, this is not an ordinary job, as you would expect. I mean, with most of the island without power, I mean, and, you know, other telecom infrastructure having issues. I mean, when we spoke to Whitefish, uh, you know, we had to wait until late at night um, when, you know, the CEO and other people got back to a hotel in a place where they could actually make a telephone call. Right. Um, so I, I think it's hard to I mean, I, I think it's it's important not to understate, you know, just just how how widespread this power outage is and the infrastructure problems, I think, ahead. Does Whitefish have kind of a target number in terms of how many workers they think they need to have? You mentioned they've got, what, about 300 there on the island right now. Seemingly, uh, with the level of of electricity that is still out, they need to have even more workers uh, to be able to, to move forward with a lot of this work. I believe at one point they told us it was about 500 that they would have, but um, I think it really just depends on the scope of the work. Uh, I mean, like you said, and we've talked earlier, there was about 300 that they've had so far, uh, but they keep adding folks. But I, I wouldn't be surprised if that number surpassed 500. You have an interesting quote from uh, the executive director of the uh, port of the uh, power authority down there uh, saying that, that this company, Whitefish, was the, the first company that was able to arrive and they were the first one that accepted terms and conditions for the uh, for the power authority. Uh, it, it sounds like, though, with the potential of the mutual aid agreements, you could have had other utilities there to do some of the work. But it was it, it was specifically these types of companies that the power authority was looking at? Yeah, I think that's the central question here. I, I don't think there was any question in terms of Whitefish's you know, eagerness to help out or to get down there. Yeah. I think the, the, the bigger question is, is the, these mutual aid agreements, right? I mean, these are, are standard practice after a major disaster hits. And if and why that was was bypassed again, you know, we did not at the time get answers on it. And in fact, uh, right now that there's a the the sort of financial oversight board in Puerto Rico is wants to put an emergency manager at this power authority in part to to ask questions about this three hundred million dollar contract and why it was awarded. So what is the U.S. government saying about this, if, if any, if they have a role in this? So the biggest role that they would have in this is FEMA reimbursement money, and and the question that we have uh, is how much how much of this money will get reimbursed by FEMA mm-hmm. if they did not go the mutual aid route? I mean, this is something that we had asked FEMA a few times. Uh, we're still sort of waiting to get a, a more specific answer. But, you know, if they had gone the traditional mutual aid route, it, it likely would have been 100% reimbursement. That's not to say that this won't get reimbursed. But, you know, when you go outside a normal, a normal path, a normal, you know, established uh, SOP, you you know you sort of risk uh, maybe not getting reimbursed or, or adding to some some delays and keep in mind this is also as the island you know is in bankruptcy protection yep. and has its own financial issues as well. That's so. that was going to be my next question to you is how does the bankruptcy play into this specifically because the power authority is what eight to nine uh, eight to nine billion dollars in debt I think at this point. 
Yeah, and they have a, an emergency uh, fund, so to speak, to to take care of these matters. And and Whitefish clearly is not concerned that they were not able to pay this. I think there is going to be some expectation with aid, whether it's through FEMA or or you know anything that the U.S. government is able to provide, even assistance from the U.S. U.S. Army Corps of Engineers. Um, I think it's still a little too early, but. Uh, I mean, I, I think they even with their in bankruptcy protection, they still have this emergency fund, emergency you know set aside of cash reserves to make repairs like this. Jack Gillum of the Washington Post joining us. We're talking about Puerto Rico's power grid here on Knowledge at Wharton on Sirius XM 111, business radio powered by the Wharton School. One of the things, Jack, that we've discussed on this show uh, is the potential of an investment by an outside company in the Puerto Rico Power Authority to you know to look at the future of this entity and how we can be more successful uh, has has that idea of whether whitefish is an investor in in this company potentially been broached uh, is that something that uh, that has been discussed as well I think that's a good question. It's something that certainly we were curious about. I mean, this is, as you mentioned, this is coming at a time when, you know, the island and the power authority, you know, are, do have some financial problems. So I think, you know, it, it's, it's reasonable to assume that if Whitefish comes in and does a really great job, you know, would the, would the authorities, would the governor on down look at this company from Montana or any of its subcontractors and say, hey, Maybe we should, you know, look at them for for future power generation. I think it just might be too early to say. Eight four four nine four two seven eight six six is the number. If you would like to join in, eight four four nine four two seven eight six six. I guess to a degree, I mean, this is a little bit of a wait and see right now to see what kind of a job Whitefish does in the next few weeks to see if there is a market increase in. Uh, the availability of power to sections of the island, correct? Yeah, that's right. And, and you know, I mean, there is a lot of money involved here, and there's a lot of issues about infrastructure, I think, you know, before this happened in the first place. I mean, this is like any time there's a disaster, right? I mean, you have maybe you didn't have the best infrastructure going into it, whether it was, you know, parts of New Orleans or elsewhere. Right. Um, I, I think it's just it's too early to say. But, I mean, you know, with 80 percent, I think it's maybe now down to 70, 75 percent, in fact. Uh, without power, um, I mean, it's really a, an up, I mean, it's <laughs> it's an understatement, I guess, to say it's a little bit of an uphill climb. Eight four four nine four two seven eight six six is the number to give us a call. Uh, and again, w- with Whitefish Energy, the interesting thing about this is that you know this was a relatively new company. Uh, when you're talking about putting them in this type of position to be able to do all of these repairs, this is a you know basically, if you go back a couple of years, this company wasn't around, correct? You're right. It wasn't. It was founded in 2015. Um, you know, uh, the CEO indeed, you know, has, as he told us, uh, has you know two decades of experience as a lineman. Um, you know, he has, he has contractors working for him, or you know, temporary workers working for him who do have experience. Uh, but this, you know, wasn't a thing that that didn't go unnoticed by former U.S. officials. In fact, one we spoke to who used to be an official at the the Energy Department and oversaw you know different regulatory agencies in the state said that she was sort of left scratching her head about how it all adds up and why this this company was chosen. Um, you know, indeed, that's not to say that they won't do a great job. Right. I, I think, that, again, the question is, is why they were chosen outside of this normal mutual aid path. But, but again, tw- you bring up in the article 2,400 2, miles of transmission lines uh, across the island. 
Uh, how much of that is still under need of repair at this point? I mean, are we talking about you know only ten percent or twenty percent of that, that that has been repaired to this point? Uh, honestly, I, we don't know. I mean, yeah. I, I think it's I think it's still a, a good majority of it. Um, you know, when again, when we spoke to Whitefish, they certainly indicated as such that there's really a lot of work ahead. Um, and that's why they, you know, barely get any sleep. Uh, I mean, they right. were very, you know, they get up, get up, bef- you know, before the, the, the <laughs> before the hens do and they go to bed after the sunset. So um, I think we, we're, we're going to need to keep an eye on this and see, you know, in a few weeks out, just where do where do things stand? You specifically do bring up about Florida Power and Light uh, in this article. And we mentioned about the, the mutual aid agreements that uh, that states and, and utilities have here in the United States. What I, I find interesting in the article is that apparently Florida Power and Light, FPL, did not hear from anybody in terms of assisting Puerto Rico. That's right. In fact, I believe at one point uh, that they had put something on their Facebook page saying that they were ready, you know, they were willing and able and ready to help. And, you know, they did not hear from them. So, again, you know, this I sound a little like a broken record, but this mutual aid thing, I think, is a key is, is a key point in this. And had that mutual aid agreement been, you know, it, it put into place or been activated, I think some of these Florida utilities like FPL, would have been involved in this process, and, what, and they, you know, they they said that they were not. And it doesn't seem like Florida Power and Light would have any concerns of being able to get the necessary equipment from Florida down to Puerto Rico, correct? No, that's right. Um, I mean, look, it's not exactly like driving over a state right. line. I mean, it's a lot of heavy equipment that needs to get down to the Commonwealths. But you know, Puerto Rico, I'm sorry, Florida is a lot closer, certainly, but. You know, that's not to say that even though Whitefish is in Montana, they can't, you know, buy supplies or equipment from, you know, someplace in in the southeast United States. Well, I I guess that is the the other question is, and maybe, I don't know if you pose this to Whitefish, is to where they are getting these supplies from and the ability to get all of these supplies to Puerto Rico, which is, you know, basically the same type of question you would have uh, been asking to Florida Power and Light. Sure. And this is the same thing that going back to Ryan Zinke, the Interior Secretary, uh, you know, his biggest role that we were able to tell so far in this was getting some of this equipment uh, to, you know, to the island. Um, you know, this, you know, he had been in contact. Uh, I mean, that is the the company, Whitefish, had been in contact, I guess, a couple weeks with Puerto Ricans before, before the Puerto Rican government, before Maria, you know, discussing these sort of what-if scenarios of the hurricane. Right. Uh, before it hit. So I'm guessing that, you know, some of the planning of, of getting the equipment started around then. Well, and, and obviously the the last piece of that is the fact that, you know, they also had uh, had been uh, obviously impacted by Maria, uh, but they were impacted by Irma as well. So, I, I mean, they knew that, the, that this was an area that it impacted once and probably was going to be impacted a second time as well. Sure. And I, I think that's fair to say. I mean, when you looked at the devastation in Houston, uh, in South Florida, and then, of, of course, you know, the devastation we saw, you know, really widespread in Puerto Rico. I think it was, you know, safe to say that anybody w- willing to help um, when you saw another storm on the horizon was going to start mobilizing equipment very quickly. Jack, thanks for your time today. Greatly appreciate it. Yeah, no problem. Good to be here. Thank you. Jack Gillum of the uh, Washington Post. Uh, they are uh, covering this story about uh, Whitefish Energy uh, based out of Montana and uh, how they uh, gained, uh, garnered this contract to try and redo the power grid in Puerto Rico. Sirius XM 111, business radio powered by the Wharton School. For more insight from Knowledge at Wharton, 
please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. Thank you.